Chapter 2. Does the Israel Lobby Control U.S. Policy? Growing numbers of people around the world oppose the U.S. government's political support for Israel and the massive military and economic aid that is used to brutally suppress the Palestinian people. Many attribute this unparalleled and one-sided support to the power of the pro-Israel lobby inside the United States. Some believe the U.S. Middle East policy is controlled by Israel through the medium of the pro-Israel organizations in the United States. Also, there are those on the far right, including fascist elements, who oppose U.S. aid to Israel not based on solidarity with the Palestinians nor out of any concern for justice, but because of their own anti-Semitic prejudices. These racists often subscribe to conspiracy theories that portray Jewish people as evil and power-hungry. The Nazis in Germany and their followers, like automobile mogul Henry Ford, propagated outlandish theories about a Jewish-Bolshevik banker conspiracy to take over the world. These contemporary theories are latter-day incarnations of the anti-Semitism that was so pervasive in the Christian churches of the Middle Ages. Contrary to current mythology, it was the Christian churches and countries of Europe that were the main sources of anti-Semitic violence throughout history. Life in predominantly Muslim societies was typically much better for Jewish people than in predominantly Christian ones. When the Christian crusaders conquered Palestine in the early crusades, they slaughtered Muslims and Jews alike. When the Christian kingdoms conquered Spain in 1492, their rulers expelled both Muslims and Jews. Perhaps the most ambitious and certainly the most documented attempt to prove that pro-Israel forces in the United States dominate U.S. Middle East policy is the book The Israel Lobby and U.S. Foreign Policy, by John J. Mersheimer and Stephen M. Walt. Although both authors are thoroughly mainstream liberal professors at elite academic institutions, University of Chicago and Harvard University, respectively, Mersheimer and Walt have predictably been accused of anti-Semitism by Israel's defenders in the United States. Smearing critics of Israel with the brush of anti-Semitism is the tried and tested method used to change the subject whenever irrefutable criticisms are raised about Israel. Mersheimer and Walt certainly knew what was coming before they published their book, which is presumably why they dedicated 106 of 466 pages to footnotes. The Israeli government and pro-Israel organizations in the United States and abroad seek to equate Zionism with Judaism to draw an equal sign between a brutal colonial political ideology and a religion. This dishonest and dangerous equation becomes the basis for falsely accusing any and all critics of Israel of anti-Semitism. To the extent that the practitioners of this tactic are successful, they actually encourage the growth of anti-Semitism. If critics of Israel are Jewish, and there are growing numbers of Jewish people who oppose Israeli apartheid and militarism, and reject the equating of Zionism with Judaism, they are invariably vilified as self-hating Jews. Jewish critics are considered especially dangerous by the defenders of Israel, while Arab-American professors, especially Palestinians, are targeted on a regular basis, special efforts are made to drive Jewish critics out of academia or positions of public influence. The Mersheimer-Walt book describes several of these cases.
Particularly instructive is the case of Dr. Norman Finkelstein, a renowned author and the son of Holocaust survivors. Finkelstein was outrageously denied tenure at DePaul University in Chicago in 2007 due to an intense campaign by pro-Israel groups. Alan Dershowitz, a Harvard Law professor and virulent Israel supporter, spearheaded the campaign. Four years earlier, Dershowitz had unsuccessfully attempted to prevent the publication of one of Finkelstein's books by the University of California Press. Of the campaigns of vilification and slander regularly directed against Palestinian and other Arab-American professors who speak out, some have been successful and some have been defeated. A campaign in 2005 purged Dr. Rashid Khalidi, a member of one of the most prominent Palestinian intellectual families and a Columbia University professor from a lecture program for New York City high school teachers. The following year, the New York City Council approved a study program on Israel initiated by the Public Relations Department of the Israeli Consulate in New York. The Israel lobby and U.S. foreign policy contains a great deal of interesting and useful information about U.S. and Israeli policy in the Middle East as a whole. It details the workings of numerous pro-Israel organizations to influence U.S. legislation and actions in support of Israel and to stifle all real debate about Israel in the political process, media, universities, labor organizations, and society in general. It is not a question that pro-Israel organizations are well-organized, well-funded, and influential. Nor is it in dispute that they can stampede nearly the entire Congress into voting for the most one-sided and outlandish positions of support for Israel. Recent examples are measured past during Israel's massive bombardment of Lebanon in 2006 and Gaza in 2008-2009. Neither lengthy resolution contained a single word of criticism of Israel, notwithstanding its indiscriminate use of some of the most diabolical weapons ever created against defenseless civilian populations. But does the pro-Israel lobby, or Israel itself through the lobby, control and direct U.S. policy in the Middle East? To put another way, does the tail wag the dog? Is it really conceivable that a small dependent country could call the shots for the most powerful empire in the history of the world? The answer to all these questions is no. Israel is part of the U.S. global empire, not the other way around. The pro-Israel lobby has been empowered by the U.S. ruling class and political establishment, which see Israel as an important instrument against the liberation movements of the Arab and other peoples of the Middle East. The pro-Israel lobby has been allowed to grow strong in the same way as the now-declining Cuban counter-revolutionary lobby. Advocates for progressive movements or governments have never been permitted to establish anything like what the pro-Israel and anti-Cuba forces have been allowed and encouraged to develop. The key factor is that the latter are moving in the same general direction as imperialism. The U.S. imperialists hate and fear the Arab and other liberation movements which they see as a threat to their strategic position in the Middle East and their domination of the region's resources and markets. They have spent more than a half century seeking to destroy these movements, especially the Palestinian movement. Likewise, the imperialists hate and fear the Cuban Revolution and have a similar 50-year history of trying to overthrow it. These actions are neither the product of irrationality nor powerful lobbies. All useful aspects aside, there is a fatal flaw in the Mersheimer-Walt analysis. 
it flows from a liberal capitalist worldview, which, reflecting a somewhat surprising degree of naivete for distinguished professors, implicitly accepts the U.S. government's own description of its role in the world. In describing what they believe would justify massive U.S. aid and support to Israel, Mersheimer and Walt write, America's willingness to give Israel extensive economic, military, and diplomatic support would be easy to understand if it advanced America's overall strategic interests. Generous aid to Israel might be justified, for example, if it were a cost-effective way for the United States to deal with countries that Washington had previously identified as hostile. Steadfast U.S. support might also make sense if the United States received substantial benefits in return, and if the value of these benefits exceeded the economic and political costs of U.S. support. In short, aid to Israel would be easy to explain if it helped make Americans more secure and more prosperous. The underlying Mersheimer-Walt assumption is that there is one classless America and that the aim of U.S. foreign policy is to make Americans more secure or more prosperous. This assumption has nothing in common with reality. The complementary and interlinked priorities of U.S. foreign policy are global domination and the protection of capitalist interests. The 761 U.S. military bases in more than 39 countries around the world are not there to make the people of the United States more secure and more prosperous, nor is the often uttered goal of protecting democracy in countries around the world, some of which have never had an election. Understanding Israel's Role Mersheimer's and Walt's statement that the aid would be justified if Israel undertook to deal with countries that Washington had previously identified as hostile is bizarre. In fact, Israel has nearly always done just that on behalf of U.S. imperialism. Here are some examples. In the 1950s and 1960s, while Israel did not send troops, at least openly, to join the genocidal U.S. wars against Korea and Vietnam, it found other ways to support the Pentagon and its puppet governments in both conflicts. Israel gave key support to the apartheid government in South Africa in the 1970s and 1980s, particularly when it was inconvenient for Washington to be seen openly supporting the racist regime. In the mid-1970s, Israel built an electrified fence along the Namibian and Golan border. Namibia was then a colony of South Africa, and the liberation movement the Southwest Africa People's Organization, was waging an armed struggle to free the country. The Swapo guerrillas had bases in Angola, a country that had just achieved its independence from Portugal. Israeli-South African collaboration led to South Africa testing a nuclear bomb in the South Atlantic in 1979. From Washington's point of view, this was a very positive development, one that the U.S. leaders fully supported. The U.S.-African apartheid regime not only ruthlessly oppressed the African people inside its own borders and in Namibia, it also served as the enforcer of U.S. and other imperialist interests in all of Africa below the equator. Apartheid South Africa's counter-revolutionary role in Africa was much like that of Israel's in the Middle East. During the 1980s, Israel trained and armed the Guatemalan army when it was carrying out genocide against the indigenous peoples of that country. The U.S. Congress had cut off direct aid to Guatemala's extreme right-wing government, but the White House and Pentagon were dedicated to destroying the revolutionary movement. This was at the height of the U.S. proxy wars 
in El Salvador and Nicaragua. The Israeli secret police joined with the CIA to train torturers in Chile and other countries of Latin America after CIA-coordinated military coups in the 1970s. Israel gave military aid to Taiwan and supported right-wing dictatorships in Africa. Nowhere has Israel's role as a watchdog for imperialist interests more benefited its sponsor than in the Middle East. Israel has been an ever-menacing hammer against the Arab countries, especially more progressive governments that won real independence in the two decades after World War II. Israel joined with the British and French imperialists in attacking Egypt and the new Nasser government in 1956. The thwarted aims of the war were to, one, overthrow Nasser and return Egypt to the status of a British neocolony, and two, to expand the Israeli state to the Suez Canal at the expense of Egypt, and three, to undermine the Algerian Revolution. The 1956 war occurred before the U.S.-Israeli relationship was fully cemented. At this time, Israel relied primarily on France and Britain for arms and funding, although the U.S. government supported it as well. In this rare case, Tel Aviv and Washington were not on the same side, but things soon changed. Israel became a satellite for U.S. imperialist interests in the region. Israel's victory in the 1967 Six-Day War was a major blow to the more progressive nationalist forces, especially in Syria and Egypt. It was after this war that the U.S.-Israel alliance became what it is today. In the mid-1970s, Israel intervened to support the fascist elements in Lebanon's civil war. In 1978 and 1982, Israel invaded Lebanon. In 1982, Israel occupied Beirut and carpet-bombed the capital throughout the summer. In 2006, Israel's five-week assault on Lebanon deliberately destroyed much of the infrastructure, which had just been rebuilt after years of civil war that Israel helped fuel. Israeli bombers destroyed an Iraqi nuclear power plant that was under construction at Osirak in 1981. This was at a time when the Iran-Iraq war was raging. The U.S. government was publicly supporting Iraq in its war against Iran, where the U.S. installed Shah had been overthrown in 1979 and did not want to take the responsibility for such an extremely hostile act. As the Iran-Contra affair later revealed, the United States was supporting Iran as well as Iraq in the hopes that they would destroy each other. In a thousand different ways, the existence of the state of Israel as an artificial and colonial state in the heart of the Arab world has profoundly distorted regional development for the benefit of imperialism and to the detriment of the Arab and other peoples of the region. The leaders in Washington are, above all, business people or their representatives. They are investors who do not hand out money based on sentimentality or generosity. Sentimentality and imperialist diplomacy are mutually exclusive categories. As it has often been said, the great powers have no permanent friends, only permanent interests. U.S. leaders have sent hundreds of billions of dollars to Israel. Most of them view the money as being well spent. Because they are hard-headed investors, that assessment is subject to revision at any time. The possibility of a shift in the U.S.-Israeli relationship cannot be dismissed. U.S. and Israeli interests in the region are complementary, but not identical. Events that have occurred since 2006 have complicated the U.S.-Israeli alliance. 
the U.S.-backed Israeli wars on Lebanon in 2006 and on the Palestinians in Gaza in 2008-2009 failed to achieve their essential objectives. They did, however, cause immense death, destruction, and suffering for the Arab people. Israel's continued inability to destroy the Lebanese and Palestinian resistance movements, combined with the failure of U.S. interventions in Iraq, Iran, Syria, and elsewhere to achieve their goals, could lead a tactical shift in U.S. policy under the Obama administration. Given Israel's essential role in the Middle East vis-a-vis U.S. imperialism, the White House will not put a long-term strategic shift on the table when even a tactical shift has the potential to cause serious conflict between Washington and Tel Aviv. Having an understanding of Israel's basic relationship with U.S. imperialism is key for partisans in the struggle against Zionism and imperialism today. It is also important to know the conflict's colonial roots, the origin and development of Zionist thought, and the dynamics of the ongoing Palestinian struggle for liberation. These are some of the points this book will attempt to address and explain.